Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk at the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. My name is Aaron Elmore, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Kirk, and it is good to be with you all. Uh, Glad that you are here today. For those joining us online, glad that you are tuning in, and very excited to jump into the book of Romans, because as a Presbyterian pastor, I only have so much time into my ministry before I begin the book of Romans, and if I don't, I think I lose my ordination or something like that. So most... uh, Truly Reformed pastors would take about five years to go through the book of Romans. We're going to take 12 weeks, so you're welcome for that. And this morning, I want to begin with good news. How many of you want to hear some good news? Yeah? A lot of bad news out there, a lot of genuinely bad things uh, happening in the world. We want to put that in the context of good news. Good news comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. Sometimes good news is you got the part. You made the team. You got an A. You earned an A on an assignment. Um, Maybe you got the job, or you saved a bunch of money on your car insurance. Maybe it's a a good medical diagnosis or report. Maybe it's just hearing that insurance is going to cover some item. Uh, I found the missing remote. That's good news, yeah? The kids are asleep. That's good news. Maybe your good news is simply the word yes, or I love you. I care about you. We all love good news. We want to hear good news. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're going to immerse ourselves in the good news of the book of Romans because we need to understand how everything fits within this framework, this idea that God has a good plan for his good world. He is a good God, and there is good news in the midst of all the bad news. So Paul's letter to the church at Rome Uh, contains a thorough explanation of the gospel, which simply means good news. This word evangelical, so we're an evangelical Presbyterian church. That word means a lot of things to a lot of people, but the core root of that word means that we are good news people. This word evangel, the Greek word, it comes from the Greek word for gospel or good news. So as evangelical Presbyterians, we are good news people. So that's why our Subtitle here is Becoming Good News People, because the gospel makes us into gospel people or good news people. The experience of being in Christ offers us peace with God, adoption into his family, a new way of life, and hope for the resurrection, that one day we too will be raised with Christ, and that even the best days on this earth will pale in comparison to what is ahead of us. It will be amazing. Now, the gospel, we're told, is the power of God that brings salvation. But by salvation, we don't just mean conversion. We don't just mean the beginning of your life in Christ. See, sometimes people have this misunderstanding that, oh, well, the pastor's talking about the gospel. That's something that people who are not yet saved need to hear. No, we all need to continue to hear the gospel because the gospel is the power of salvation, meaning salvation from the beginning of the process to the very end. The gospel is what fuels our discipleship, our growth in Christ, our daily transformation. We need 
the gospel. We never move on past the gospel. We move on in the gospel. It is the power of salvation. The gospel is like a, an incredibly large, beautiful diamond that has so many different facets and reflects light in so many different angles. And the more you look at it, the more you see the beauty and all of the intricacies of it. The more that we study the gospel and understand that we see how it affects every aspect of our lives, how it changes everything, and we continue to apply it to our life on a daily basis. So this book was written by a man who was radically saved by the gospel and whose life and work revolved around the gospel. He frames the beginning of the letter telling us that it's going to be about this gospel. He uses the word six times in just 17 verses. So he wants to be very clear what he's talking about. Now these are people that he has not yet personally met. And so it's interesting how he sort of frames this letter and he begins by being clear that, hey friends, the thing, the most important thing that I want to communicate to you is this really good news. And so this book helps us to understand the gospel message and more fully experience the gospel life, how we can become good news people. So what is the gospel? If we're going to talk about it, that's the main idea. What is the gospel? Well, it is an announcement. It's news about what has already been done for you by Jesus Christ. It's the good news that Jesus lived the perfect life that you could never live. That's God's standard, perfection, holiness. Jesus met that standard. None of us could even come close. It's the good news that Jesus chose willingly in our place to die the death that we deserved. Because the cost of sin is that we should have to die. Well, Jesus died in our place. A perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sins. But we know the story doesn't end there. Jesus also was raised from the dead by the power of God, the hope of the resurrection, that just as he was raised, all who are in Christ have this promise that we will live eternally with one another and with God. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not advice. It's not a philosophy. It's not something that you figure out. It is good news of what God has already done in Jesus Christ. It's not advice. Uh, it's, not, it's not a philosophy. It's news. And in today's world, there's increasing confusion regarding the nature of God and humanity and sin and salvation. The trend is toward rejecting larger frameworks for understanding the world and our social and moral and spiritual guidance in favor of the autonomy of the individual to determine the good life for themselves. You see, I, I think that all people are looking for some kind of answer to the question, what is the good life? How am I supposed to live? What is the point and purpose of life? And the dangers that we're moving in this direction where now each individual gets to decide for themselves what the good life looks like. The problem with that is that it's not livable because we can't live in community with one another if we don't have some kind of larger framework or story that we all find ourselves in and we agree upon. Because otherwise then you get to determine your truth and your reality and what, what's important for you and your values and I do. And then th there's no cohesion. You understand? And then we wonder why, according to self-reported information, people are lonelier than ever. They're more isolated than ever. We're more disjointed. We can't get along with our neighbors. Why? It's because we have no framework. 
We have no story in which to understand our lives and agree of how we at least ought to live in community. We're never going to do that perfectly, but at least we have some kind of idea of what it should look like. And the Bible, and particularly the gospel and the book of Romans in an especially profound way, gives us this framework. It tells us what's gone wrong, what God's done to make it right, and how we should live, how we can live in this new way together as human beings. So, this shift is not good, but I think that we can look to this letter to bring clarity about this. It grounds us in the gospel, in Christian unity, and in our Christian mission. So, this is a very dense book. Uh, You will notice this morning, well, just don't even count how many points I have, because it's a lot. A lot of ground to cover, um, but it's all really good. And so I pray by the grace of God, we'll get a lot out of this study. So Paul tells us a couple of very important things about the gospel in these opening words. First of all, he tells us that this gospel is God's gospel. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So that means it's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. It's not Paul's gospel. It's not even the church's gospel, although we're told to steward it and to share it. It is whose gospel? God's. It's his good news to share with the world, which means we don't have the right or the authority to change the message. It's his message, not our message. We must understand it and share it and be true to the message that God intended to share with the world. How many of you have ever played the game telephone? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, so the way it works, if you haven't played it, is you usually have a group of people and they're in a line or they're usually in kind of a circle. And you start with some message that you share secretly with the first person and they're supposed to share it with the next person and it goes around the circle. And by the end, you realize that you've really messed up the message pretty bad, right? That's the fun part. Now, the way that you actually get the message right by the end is you make it into a competition. So you have two groups of people that you divide up and you start the message and you see which group can pass the message around the circle, and get it right. Now, a variation of this game, which is incredibly challenging that I've played, is that the first person tells the message, like they write it out, and the next person has to draw a picture of it, and the next person writes out the paragraph or whatever, the next person draws it. It gets really messed up, okay? Now, why do I talk about the game of telephone? Because we don't want to do that with the gospel, right? It's not that we we get to tell our version of it. We want to be careful that we don't mess up the story because that's not funny. In the end, we want to get this right because it's God's gospel. And so that's why we need to study the scriptures. We need to know the gospel. We need to be able to share the story with other people. We need to rehearse the story of the gospel in worship together through our music, through our prayers, through hearing God's word, through responding. We need to be in community life with other people who will help hold us accountable to making sure that we are getting the gospel right. We don't want to mess it up because it's God's story. We need to know it, okay? The second thing Paul tells us is that it's good news that was proclaimed in the past. Paul connects this good news with the past, saying that it's not new, it's just newly realized. God told us this good news was coming. The scriptures and the prophets told us that a day would be coming. And Paul says, look, we've seen it now in Jesus Christ. He brought the good news. He is the good news. It's all about him. But it was told in the past. And so what God is doing now is part of what he's been doing all along. This is an important point of emphasis. 
right? It's one story of one God who's he's telling a unified story from beginning to end. It takes different stages and phases, but all along it's been a story of God's good news and God's grace. It's just now being realized in the person of Jesus Christ. But it's not an utterly different or new thing. It's what God has been doing since the beginning of the story. The third thing we see is that this gospel is Christ-centered. It's regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So the gospel is fundamentally about a person, Jesus Christ. It's not primarily about your hopes and dreams and passion for life and, and using God to fulfill that. It's not a self help message. The gospel is not a magic eight ball that you keep shaking until you get the answer you want. Uh, It's not about a genie in a bottle that God is there to give you whatever wish you have. It is God's story that you have been brought into, and that's a good thing. It's the story that God is writing. It's the story about what God has done through Jesus Christ and how that makes us into his people, his community, his body. Now, I can't help but marvel here. I have to stop for a minute as a, as a self-professed theology nerd and recognize in verses 3 and 4, I don't have time to go into all of it, but what we're told about Jesus just in this short introductory statement about him. Here in just one sentence, Paul tells us that Jesus was both God and man. You see, the dual nature of Jesus Christ through his earthly life as a descendant of David, right, his humanity, but yet his deity, he was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection. We also get uh, a point about his kingship, the fact that he was from the line of David and that he now reigns as Jesus Christ, our Lord. This word Lord implies that he is king. Paul points to the work of Jesus, the redemptive work of Jesus, by pointing out the resurrection. The resurrection was often a way of talking about all of the work of Jesus. Every aspect of his ministry, from his birth, his ministry, his life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. Paul says the resurrection to say all of that. It's a package deal. And he says the resurrection to say this is the work that Jesus has done for us. It's all about Jesus. So this gospel is from God. It was proclaimed in the past. It's Christ-centered. And finally, Paul alludes to the fact that it creates good news people. Through him, we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So this gospel announces that Jesus is king, and therefore we're called to trust and submit to his lordship. And we become good news people through joyfully obeying or becoming the people that God has called us to be. Now, your life and your testimony is not the good news, right? We're not pointing people and saying, I'm a good, perfect person, be like me. We're pointing people to Jesus. He is, he is the gospel, right? That represents what he has done for us. But as we live into this life that he's made available for us, our lives do demonstrate the power of this gospel. So then in a way, as we become people who live for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors, our lives tell a story of good news. It's not the good news. It's not the gospel, but our lives become sort of uh, examples, reflections 
of what it can look like to live into this good news reality. We were created to become people profoundly shaped by this gospel. And so Paul uses this phrase, the obedience that comes from faith, in verse 5. Christians have long debated the relationship between faith and works. Are we saved by faith? Are we saved by works? Is it some kind of combination? And I think we understand that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But Scripture also tells us that that will result in an obedience that will flow from that faith. So we're not saved by our obedience, but we're saved by faith. But this faith generates us in, in us a new way of life. So people will debate, well, Paul says one thing, James says another. What do we do with this? No, I think it's clear. I think they're both saying the same thing. Faith is the root. Obedience is the fruit. Right? We're saved by faith. That changes our very character and nature. But the fruit of that is obedience. It's the good works that God's prepared for us to do. Martin Luther said it this way. We're saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Right? It's always accompanied by good works. I think Paul and, and James, I think all of them are saying the same thing because they're, hopefully, well, we believe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they are following the teachings of Jesus that we've already gotten. And Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Right? The fruit doesn't make the tree a tree, but the fruit tells you that the tree is alive and what kind of tree it is. So we're saved by grace alone. We're saved by faith alone. But that faith will result in our lives telling a better story, a story of the good news reality of life in Jesus Christ. This gospel gives us a new identity. We're called by Jesus. We're adopted into his family. We're truly and deeply loved. And this makes us into good news people. So then in the second half of this opening section, Paul tells us a little bit about his life, his heart, and his mission. We see what motivated him, what sustained his ministry. We get a a glimpse into his heart, his prayer life, his love for the church, his commitment to sharing this good news. He was eager to preach the gospel. He has a heart for both the saints and the lost. I couldn't help but see here a parallel between Paul's introduction to his life and ministry and our four-part strategy that we have as a church. I shared this a few weeks ago. It's four C's, right? What's our strategy? Well, we want to be a people who are who are growing in communion with God. First of all, the first C is communion with God. And then, community with others. From that, we have a calling to serve, and we have a commission to go. Four C's. Communion, community, calling, and commission. And I I just couldn't help myself but to see these four C's in Paul's very own testimony about his life and his heart. And so we'll see them here. First one is communion with God. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. The first thing that he writes to these people that he's never met before, the first thing he wants to do is identify that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. That's, That's the framing reality of life. That's the most important thing about him is that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. And so his ministry, his heart, his passion, Everything about his life flows from this reality that he knew that he was dramatically saved by God and that he had a communion with God and it was because of the gospel, because of God's grace. Paul was not a good dude at all. He wasn't like, oh, he's kind of a bad guy. No, he was a religious terrorist. I don't use that word lightly. Paul killed people. He persecuted Christians. 
and yet God dramatically transformed his life. What an incredible testimony that we can never be beyond God's grace. His grace is so powerful. And so Paul understood that the first and most important reality in his life was that he had communion with God. It is from that that then he could work on his horizontal relationships. He had to have that connection with God, that communion with God, in order to be in community with others. So that's C number two, with others. Notice the language Paul uses here, verse 9 and 10. He says, I remember you in my prayers at all times. Verse 11, I longed to see you. Verse 13, I planned many times to come to you. He had a desire to be in community and fellowship with these believers. He really wanted to be with them. And then in verse 12, he talks about participating in a relationship of mutual encouragement. This is an important phrase. We all need relationships of mutual encouragement in our life. We need people that we recognize we together are trying to grow closer to Christ. Intentional relationships and friendships. We need these at every stage of our Christian journey. Mutual encouragement. And those are the best ones, right? I mean, we have people that we look up to. We have people that we're mentoring, that we feel like we're pulling them along. But really, I think that we understand that Christ is at the center of that relationship. All of our discipleship relationships are mutual. So that applies to students, right? Like students, you think that your youth leaders are there uh, to guide you and to encourage you and pray for you, but yet you also have a ministry to them. You might think, well, what do I have to give to them? No, you have your story. You have your insights as you read the Bible. You're in a relationship of mutual encouragement. So don't think for a second, well, they're older than me. They're further along in life. They're there to help me. No, you're also there to help them. That's a ministry you have. You have that with one another. We have that in our small groups, right? Those are designed to be relationships of mutual encouragement. And when you have those, you know it. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah? Amen. So the third C is calling to serve. Paul understood that he had a call to serve. He was a servant of Christ Jesus. This was the most important thing. He also understood that he had a calling to be an apostle. Now this word apostle means one who is sent. It's interesting, the terminology in the Gospels to talk about First of all, the group of 12, but then the larger group of people that traveled with Jesus, that were part of his ministry, they're primarily called disciples. Well, disciple is a learner or an apprentice. But as we get into the book of Acts, there's a change in the language, and the primary designation for these folks is now apostles. So they're both disciples, they're always learners, but now they understand that they're apostles, they are sent ones. Now, I don't know if we have the office of apostle anymore or official designations like that, but I think as followers of Jesus, we need to live into this calling that we are not only disciples, learners, but we are apostles. We are sent to serve. God gives us gifts to share with the world, and I think there's a lot of Christians that don't really fully embrace that. They're sort of stuck in, okay, I'm a disciple. I'm going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to learn. That's all part of an inflow that's designed to have an outflow, which is that we're sent by Jesus, never alone, always in groups of people for accountability and support and help. But we're sent by Jesus to share his good news in the world, which brings us to our fourth C, which is a commission to go. Paul understood that he had a commission to go to the world to share the gospel with all kinds of of people, with the Jews and with the Gentiles, which is basically a way of saying 
everybody, right? You're either a Jew or you're not a Jew, which means you're a Gentile. The same gospel was for all people. That was always God's plan from the very beginning. People would share his message freely with the world. And Paul understands that this gospel is for the evangelism of unbelievers, but it's also for the edification or building up of the church. So what's the big idea here? As we start this series in Romans, this this introduction with all the different rich things that it has in it, the big idea here in verses 16 and 17 is simply the good news. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So this is the thesis of the letter. This is the most important introductory idea. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So Paul says, first of all, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to feel bad. It's good news. I mean, why do we, I, I get this. I feel this. Why is it so hard to share the gospel? It's good news. People love hearing good news. Well, the good news also helps us to understand that there is some bad news involved, and we're going to get into that starting next week. We understand that there is a problem, and some people don't want to acknowledge the problem, but fundamentally the gospel is good news, so we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should be bold and confident in sharing it because it's God's good news. And it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. What does that mean? Well, there's, there's one gospel. Some people aren't saved one way and other people saved another way. All people are saved through the power of the gospel. It is the way to salvation. After all, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's one gospel. But yet we also see both the exclusive and inclusive nature of this gospel. I've talked about this before, but it's an important concept. So we see it right here in verse 16. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So the inclusive nature of the gospel is that it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. You don't have to be a certain type of person. You don't have to be a certain type of ethnicity or have a certain amount of money or a certain kind of job or skin color or age. The gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. It's incredibly inclusive. People like that part. Here's the exclusive part. It's the only way to salvation because it says it's the power of salvation for who? Whoever believes. Which implies that if you don't believe, it is not the power of salvation. So the gospel is incredibly inclusive, but yet it is exclusive in that it is the only way to salvation. There's no other way that you can be saved. That's the big idea. In Christ alone, how can your life be made right? Because we all know our life's not right. We know it. Some people don't want to admit it, but we know there's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong with my life. And I think every human being deep down wants to answer the question, how can things be made right? And scripture tells us in many places, but here very clearly, it is made right in Christ alone. 
the only one who can fix this massive problem between a holy God and sinful people is the one who was both God and man and who died in our place on the cross. That's the only way. That's the only answer. And many people today want to say, well, we like Jesus. He was a nice guy. He taught some nice things. He was nice to children. I mean, he's a nice guy. Good example to follow. No, it's more than that, folks. It's more than that. We have a fundamental human problem. We are sinners by nature. We rebel and we turn against that which we were created for. And we needed God to come in and give us a solution that we would never have come up with on our own. We could not. In Christ alone. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone. It's the only way that we can be saved. In verse 17, Paul says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. It's not something that we instinctively know or that we could have come up with on our own. The only way we can know this gospel is unless God makes it known to us. We won't discover it. We don't stumble upon it. It's a righteousness that is from God, and it is from faith, by faith, from beginning to end. So maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're watching after the fact. And I want to encourage you to consider this truth. This is the starting point. Faith, the salvation comes by faith in Christ Jesus. That's the starting point. And it will change your life forever. Maybe you've been considering that. Maybe you have questions about that. Please reach out to me personally. Please reach out to any of our pastors, our staff, our elders. Reach out to a Christian friend. Ask those tough questions. Seek the truth. Seek to know. And I pray that God will reveal to you his plan, his good news for you and for our world, that your life can be changed through the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It's good news for all of us. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is based on your plan that you have accomplished We can't mess it up. God, it is your good news for the world. And I pray that you will help us to live into that reality, into that good news life. God, you'll give us a boldness to share it with our neighbors and friends and coworkers and classmates. God, I pray that we would be willing to share the story of what you've done for us through Jesus Christ and what that means to us in our life and how it's changed everything. God, all of our lives are in your hands. We believe that in Christ alone, that is the way to true life and to new life. So God, may your gospel transform us for your glory and our good.